0: just say welcome to all of you now today. Thanks for being here today. We know we have many joining us online as well on YouTube and Facebook and on our podcast. Thank you for joining us as well. If you're here in the room, uh, you're welcome to jump on Facebook, check in at, uh, on, the, on the live stream. You can share that link, the live stream, but we want to say welcome to Calvary where it's our mission to love God, love people, and change the world. It's what Jesus told us to do, so we're just doing what he tells us to do. And uh, if you've been here uh, for much of the year, you know that we've been in the gospel according to Matthew. We've been in the book of Matthew about the fourth week of the year we were there. And we've been in Matthew for a majority of the year. We've taken a few weeks off. It's been great. In fact, last week was a fantastic week hearing young communicators, youth, teenagers, young adults. Yeah, you can thank them. They did awesome so great to see what God is doing in their lives and in their hearts and how he is speaking through them. It just encourages so much. Of course, this is God's church. He's going to build his church, but it's so encouraging to see young people coming behind us. Actually, they're out in front of us. I mean, they are leading us. We're so thankful for what God is doing uh, in and through them, uh, having young people who are not ashamed of their faith in Jesus Christ. We love you, kids. So, so thankful for you. And I want to also thank all of you on the behalf of Jason Fout and the family for your continued prayers over him. If you're new to our church, the Fout family are some of the greatest people on God's earth. And, uh, yep, yeah, you, can, you can clap for that. That's great. And uh, Chrissy, one of the most beautiful people ever. God called her home uh, almost two weeks ago. And between Chrissy and Jason and their kids, I mean, they are involved in just about every aspect in the life of our church. And uh, it's so good to know that she is now in the presence of the Lord. Cancer is over, leukemia is over. She has been healed. But uh, just wanted to say thank you on the behalf of the Felt family. Uh, they are doing well. Your outpouring of love means the world to them. But this is just kind of part of the church being the church, right? We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn, and we're so thankful to have a wonderful church family here at Calvary as uh, as we celebrated her life Tuesday. I've been at the graveside uh, several times this year already, and um, it's a reminder that those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're just transitioning from this life to the next life. They're receiving their eternal reward in heaven. And so we don't grieve like those who have no hope because we know in just a few moments we are going to be reunited with them in heaven. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, if you were here on July 4th, I talked in detail about heaven. Jesus was talking to his followers in the book of Matthew about signs of the times there's going to be pestilences and famines and earthquakes. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, brother against brother. Uh, even the love of many, we read, will, will grow cold. Where there was once love will now be hate. And Jesus said when you see all of these things happening, which by, by the way, we believe those things are happening right now in our generation. We do believe that we are in the end times. Jesus said when you see all of this happen, freak out. Stress out. No, 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 no. He said, lift your heads, look up, because your redemption draws near. Heaven is just around the corner. So we don't freak out. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. We know our eternal reward is heaven for followers of Christ. Heaven is our home. We're just passing through this world. In fact, we said a couple of weeks ago, if you were here For those who know God, this, meaning this world, is as bad as it gets. It only gets better from here. Okay, that's really good news for some of you. You've had a a crummy 18 months, some of you maybe even longer. But for for those who know God, this is as bad as it gets. Heaven is going to be way better. For those who do not know God, for those who don't know God, this is as good as it gets. This earth and all that it brings is as good as it gets. On the other side, it only gets worse. And so uh, we're talking about heaven or, and hell, right? This is heaven. This is your destiny if you know God. And as real as heaven is, we believe, Scripture says, hell is just as real. And so I, I'm going to talk to you today about a very challenging topic. I want to talk to you today about the reality of hell, it's not some conceptual, made-up place. It is an actual place that the Scripture tells us about. Even Jesus Himself talks about. For weeks now, I've been kind of feeling the pull uh, to share to share this word. Um, you know, I, it's easy to want to share the, the really uh, encouraging Scriptures that tickle our ears, but we got we got to bring you the whole Scripture, right? Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> So as challenging as it is to share and as challenging as it might be to hear, I know we've got brand new people. Welcome to Calvary. We're glad that you're here. You're going to hear about hell today. Uh, But I pray that it will uh, encourage you. It will give you some good information on what Scripture has to say about this place. It's not meant to scare you, but just to kind of give you a working understanding of what the Bible says about this place. Jesus himself actually talked about hell 33 times while here on this earth. Now, if you know the life of Jesus, he, he lived here for about 33 years. Uh, from age 30 was his earthly ministry, where he went about uh, healing people and, and telling people about the kingdom of God and teaching them and instructing them. So he had a three-year earthly ministry. And he talked about hell 33 times. So if you can quickly do the math, that's almost one time Per month, Jesus would talk about hell. Uh, You may not have gone to Jesus' church hearing about hell about that much, right? But uh, he talked about hell 33 times. in In fact, Scripture in its entirety talks about this place called hell over 160 times. In fact, 167 times, there's 167 at least, references to hell, But when Jesus talked about hell, it wasn't meant to scare people. He meant to share this information in love. In fact, he was so full of love, so full of compassion, that he wanted to give people every opportunity to choose heaven instead of hell. So he talked about it 33 times. Scripture talks about it over 160 times. But in spite of all of that, there are many theologians... There are many pastors, many churches, even entire denominations that are beginning to distance themselves from hell and the existence of it. According to a Barna survey, 76% of Americans believe in heaven. 64% believe they will go to heaven. Isn't that interesting? A difference of 12%. If they know it's there, why don't they believe they're going there? Anyways, uh, 71% of Americans believe in an actual place called hell. However, 40% believe it's a state of eternal separation from God's presence. Interestingly, only 31 32% believe that hell is an actual place of fire and torment. But despite surveys and people's opinions... Uh, We don't look to them for the authority. We look to God's word for our authority. And since Jesus talked about it, since the Bible talks about it so much, uh, I believe that to deny the existence of hell is to deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it, it, it it would even deny the authority of God's word. And in just a moment, we're going to read a story in Luke chapter 16. If you want to turn there, you can do that. We're going to be there in just a moment. But before we read a story from Luke 16, I want to uh, point out uh, four groups and what they think, what their views are about hell. Number one, you don't have to write these down, but you can. Um, Number one, are atheists. I want to talk to you about atheists. Okay, this first group are atheists. Of course, atheists do not believe that there is a God. And since they don't believe God exists, they don't believe that hell exists. Atheists, for the most part, believe that we were created out of nothing. And when we die, we will just no longer exist. We will cease to exist. That's kind of atheists' uh, take on things. I would, uh, kind of a side note for you, I would make the claim that you can't really be an atheist. Okay? Uh, I'll just you know, do a quick drive-by here. You can't really be an atheist. Uh, for you to definitively say with uh, authority and 100% certainty there is no God, for you to say that, you would have to possess 100% of all information. Correct? For you to say that, you'd have to know everything about everything. Well, scientists tell us that even the very smartest person possesses maybe 2% of all information there is to know. So for someone to say that there is absolutely no God, they just can't in good conscience do that. Because isn't it possible that of the 98% of the information they don't possess, that it's just possible that in that 98% might be the fact that God is indeed real? So, I don't think you can really be an atheist. But anyways, uh, atheists deny that there is a hell because they deny that there is a God. Now, secondly, the second group is annihilationists. Annihilationists. They believe that believers do go to heaven. Heaven is a real place. You can go there. But unbelievers are annihilated. They are completely destroyed. Maybe maybe even in hell, for that matter. They use the scripture in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, which reads, Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell. So they use that word destroy to base their doctrine upon. One verse, one interpretation of that one verse, and they build an entire doctrine around it. By the way, we believe that you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. You've got to take the whole of Scripture to build your theology and your doctrine. So, obviously, we do not believe in this theory of annihilationists. The third group of people that I want to share are ultimate reconciliationists. Ultimate reconciliationists. They believe that ultimately everyone will go to heaven. Now, you may go to hell. If there is a hell, you may go there for some, uh, some portion of time based on your behavior here on earth. So if you are really, really, really bad here on earth, you're probably going to uh, serve some, some really, really long time in hell. But however, given enough time, everybody will be reconciled back to God in heaven. Uh, maybe even Satan himself, for that matter. Of course, we do not find this uh, doctrine in Scripture either. Then the fourth group I want to share are universalists. Now this view, universalists, this is growing more and more popular, especially with pastors and, and preachers and churches. Uh, this, this idea, uh, they, they say that how can a loving God send someone to hell? Why would he do that? I mean, Jesus died on the cross for everyone. He paid the penalty. He paid the price for everyone's sin. So, since he died for all of mankind, all of mankind gets to go to heaven. Well, we agree on the fact that Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for everyone's sin. However, there is free will involved in the process. We have a choice to make. Well, universalists, they remove this free will component and they just say, well, everybody, everybody's going to get to go to heaven. And I have to admit, sometimes part of me wishes this were true. This just really sounds good, doesn't it? It feels good to think that, well, everybody's going to make it to heaven no matter what. But scripture does not teach this at all. In fact, if we play this position out, it means that the most evil person will go to heaven. Saddam Hussein, Adolf Hitler, murderers, terrorists. I mean, if we, if we really play this out, I mean, if you go back 20, 20 years ago, 9-11, the terrorists attack, when the terrorists hijacked those planes and plunged those planes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and, and uh, out in Pennsylvania. As that plane crashed, everybody immediately died, and the terrorists were immediately ushered into the presence of God in heaven? Hmm. Innocent Christian believers went directly to heaven. We believe that. But, but for them to think that even the terrorists without even repenting of their sin, would go to heaven? So anytime you hear any of these positions, know that that is a false teaching. Okay, None of this is based on what we find in the Word of God. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 16. Uh, Jesus tells a story about a place called hell. And uh, right above verse 19, your heading probably says, The Rich Man and Lazarus. Now, it's possible that your translation may say the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, but I want to note that neither Luke or Jesus confirms that this is actually a parable. Often when Jesus uh, would speak a parable... The gospel writer would set it up. He'd say, and then Jesus spoke this parable, and then they'd write about the parable. Or sometimes Jesus himself would use a simile. He would say something like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would tell us a parable. He would tell a story. We don't see this in this story. A couple of other things on this story is that Jesus refers to a certain rich man. He does not use a generic term and says, hey, there was a rich guy. No, he says, quote, there was a certain rich man. That means there was an individual, a specific person. Then he says, there was a certain beggar. Then he goes on to give that beggar a name, Lazarus. By the way, this was not the Lazarus who would later die, the the brother of Martha and Mary who would later die and and was dead for four, four days and Jesus resurrected from the dead. That is not this Lazarus. But Jesus identified this beggar as Lazarus. Now, look at all the parables. Jesus doesn't do this in his other parables. He doesn't give specific names in his parables. That's what leads us to believe that this is an actual story that Jesus shares. So we're going to read the story beginning in verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, Abraham. Is Abraham a real person? Yes. Real guy. Real story. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, that word Hades is Greek for hell, just so we know. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham, again, real person, Abraham, afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, this is the rich man crying out now. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So Jesus, in telling this story, Ends all debate on the existence of hell. Let's just be clear. Some of the Jewish people, some of his audience, they were kind of cloudy on their theology of hell. Jesus, in this story, I believe, ends the debate once and for all. He talks about a specific man, a specific place, and specific details. I mean, he mentions torment multiple times. He talked about flames, fire, in fact, the New Testament, when describing hell, uses fire or flames over 30 times in the New Testament. Hell is a real place. Now, in the story that Jesus gave us, we can, uh, we can discern three things about the people that are in hell. Three things. Number one, people in hell will desire Comfort desire comfort. The rich man desired comfort. He asked Lazarus if he could dip the finger, the tip of his finger in water that I may cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now, notice the rich man didn't ask Abraham uh, for Lazarus to bring him a bucket of water or a glass of water or a cup of water or a small bottle of water. He just, he was in such torment that just just a drop, just a drop from the tip of his finger would bring me relief because I am so tormented here in these flames. Could I have just a drop of water? In hell, you'll desire comfort. Secondly, people in hell have concern. People in hell have concern. The rich man had concern for his family. Uh, Verse 27, he says, Please send him to my brothers, my father's house. I have five brothers. If you're in hell and you have family members, loved ones who are still alive here on the earth, you will have concern for them. You'll be thinking, man, this place is so horrible. I hope my family are not coming to this place. I hope someone will tell my family about Jesus. I hope someone will invite my family to church so they can learn about God because I don't want my family to ever experience this hell. The rich man wanted his family to avoid hell at all costs. Then thirdly, the rich man sought consolation. He sought consolation. He tries to to tell himself and Abraham, that maybe if someone were resurrected, maybe someone that was once dead is raised to life, maybe then my family would believe. Surely they would believe then. But Abraham said, hey, listen, they have Moses and the prophets. If they're not going to believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe some resurrected person either. Now, when Jesus was referring to Moses and the prophets, that was his description of saying the Bible. The Moses and the prophets was the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, and all of the the major and minor prophets of Scripture. What Jesus was saying, if they don't believe the Scripture, if they don't believe the Bible itself, they're not going to believe some resurrected person either. By the way, Jesus would rise from the dead. He would rise from the grave. I believe that that's a a direct reference to himself because Jesus did rise from the grave. So if they didn't believe the Bible, Jesus was saying they wouldn't believe one even if they were to rise from the dead. And he did. Jesus actually did. Now, this story that we just read is describing hell and the afterlife before resurrection of Jesus. Before Jesus gave his life, died on the cross, was born again, every person that died before that event, before the resurrection, went to the place of waiting. Scripture sometimes calls it Sheol. And there were two realms of waiting in the afterlife. And we just read that there was a gulf, there was a chasm in between the two. There was a place, hell, We just read about it, Hades, which we know where people are tormented and there are flames of fire. And then there was the place called the bosom of Abraham. Some translations say the side of Abraham. This is where all the Old Testament saints would go once they died. When the Old Testament saint would die, they would go to this place of waiting. But this was a very nice place of waiting, a place of rest and comfort and peace. So that's what it looked like before the resurrection. But once Jesus died and rose again, he paid the penalty for our sin. He went and ushered all of those people in the bosom of Abraham, ushered them into heaven, into the presence of God. Now, you'll you'll remember that he even told the thief that was next to him on the cross. He said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. So after this is what it looks like after the resurrection. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's how we know that Chrissy is not in some holding place. Chrissy is in heaven right now celebrating with her Savior, Jesus. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So that's what it looks like after the resurrection. He told this story before the resurrection. Now, after the second coming of Jesus Christ, sinners will receive their final judgment. They'll stand before him, and, and, and God will sentence them to eternal separation from him, eternal torment in hell. And the Bible gives us some details about this place called hell that I want to share with you. I want to give you three realities of hell. Number one, it's hot. I'm not trying to make light or make fun of it, but hell is a real place. Uh, It's a blazing furnace. It is hot. There is fire. Look at what Jesus had to say about it in Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. So again, he's talking about after his second coming, after the millennial reign of Christ. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's some detail right there. After the second coming, after he comes back, believers and unbelievers will be identified and separated. They'll be put in groups. You're the believers, you're the unbelievers. Unbelievers, Sorry, you are going to eternal damnation in hell, where there will be eternal fire. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus used a specific word to describe hell. Your translation may have that word, Gehenna. In fact, I believe Jesus uses the word Gehenna ten times in the Gospels. G-A-H-E-N-N-A. If you want to learn more about that, you can Google that later today when you go home. Learn about Gehenna. But Gehenna means the Valley of Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M. Now his Jewish audience, remember he's talking to Jewish people. His Jewish audience knew what and where he was talking about. The Valley of Hinnom was just south of the city of Jerusalem. And back in the Old Testament days when uh, many of the Israelite people had rebelled against God and they were taken uh, under captivity, um, that it refers to the fire that is in the valley of Hinnom. In fact, Scripture talks about it in Chronicles, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah. All of those Scriptures refer to the valley of Hinnom. And in the valley of Hinnom, there is continual fire. And uh, often, they would bring their garbage, they would bring their trash to the fire where they would burn their trash. They would burn their garbage, the garbage dump, if you will. Now, some of this could get graphic. Uh, if, if we have younger children, I'm just giving you a heads up. This, uh, this valley of continual fire would also be a place where, where poor people, if they didn't have enough money to be buried... They would bring their bodies. Same with criminals. They would bring certain criminals out to this fire in the Valley of Hinnom where they would burn their bodies. And you could literally smell the burning flesh from the city. But there's something else that happened there, too, in the Valley of Hinnom. Many of these people, uh, that they took up the, the religious practice of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans of offering their children and sacrifice to the god called Molech, the god of Molech. In fact, the Bible tells us specifically of two kings who engaged in this practice of child sacrifice. Manasseh and Ahab both offered their children as sacrifice, child, child sacrifice in the valley of Hinnom. And so, again, what I'm about to tell you is very difficult. But in this perverted practice, in this perverted religion, they would force their children to walk into the fire, into the valley of Hinnom, often beating them along the way, cracking whips, driving them into the fire. So as Jesus uses uh, this verbiage, Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, the, the Jews would have known exactly what he was talking about. He said that this place called Hades, this place called hell, is a place of torment. It is Gehenna, where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And again, this Jewish audience would have known that these, these poor children, these young boys and girls that were just so scared, so afraid, so much pain, that they would weep and wail and gnash their teeth. While being burned, Jesus was being very, very clear. Hell is a very real place. You do not want to go there. It is miserable. It is a miserable place of torment and fire. Hell is hot. Secondly, in hell, there is no rest. You will find no rest, no matter how tired, no, how, no matter how exhausted you are, you will find no rest. Now, everyone in this room needs rest. Rest keeps us fresh and emotionally stable. In fact, sometimes when uh, one of our children is agitated and overexhausted and they don't realize it, sometimes Kelly will say, You need to go take a nap. Sometimes she'll even say that to me, right? Hey, Benny, you, need, you just need to go take a nap. But, but we need rest for refreshing, and, and it helps us in our emotional state. I mean, we can, you know, this with the Fout family. We said, make sure, Mr. Jason, make sure you and the kids get some rest. You're just emotionally exhausted and spent. We need rest. But in hell, there is no rest. Look at what Revelation chapter 14 verse 11 says. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night. No rest day or night. Now contrast that with the fate of believers who Scripture says will rest from all of their labor. Heaven will be a place of perfect peace and rest. But as exhausted as those that are in hell might be, they will never find rest. No relief from their torment day or night. Hell is a place of no rest. Thirdly, not only is hell hot, there's no rest, there's no hope. In hell, there is no hope. It's a place of utter hopelessness. Now think about it, everybody needs help. I'm sorry, help and hope. Everybody needs hope, even if it's just a sliver. For a human to survive, they need hope. In fact, it's been said that the only thing worse than insanity is hopelessness. But here's the good news. While you're alive, while you are breathing, while you are here on this earth, you have hope. There is still hope. You can still be reconciled back to God. As long as you are alive, you still have opportunity to come back, to turn back to God. Now, of course, Satan, he'll try to rob you. He'll try to distract you and and tempt you away from the hope that you can find. He'll try to convince you to not turn to God. But as long as you have opportunity to know God, you have hope. However... Once your time here on the earth is over and you find yourself in hell, it is hopeless. There is no longer any hope. There is eternal torment. There is eternal darkness. There is eternal separation from God. Everyone who goes to hell will, at one point or another, have a thought something like this It has been 10,000 years. And I still don't have even one less day that I'm in this place. Because hell lasts forever. Hell is eternal. Well, some people have said, well, if I'm going to hell, at least I've got friends there and we can party. Maybe you've heard that. (laughs) Well, of course we know that that is a lie. There is going to be no parties in hell. You will not even have, it will be very lonely. You won't have interaction with other people. There will be no parties, no family, no friends, no light. Scripture de- describes it as a place of utter darkness. There will be no light. There will be no rest. There will be no hope. Worst of all, there will be no God. Hell is a place that lacks the presence of God. It will be a place that is completely void of God, of his love, of his compassion. It's a place of complete hopelessness. And people, I'm sure, at some point will come to the realization that, man, God is real. <laughs> Jesus is real. He, you know, he did die on the cross for my sin. I know I lived my life as an atheist or whatever, but, man, God is real. But by the time they come to that realization, it's too late. All hope Is gone. Their fate has been sealed. Now, real quick, I want to try and lift your spirits. I know this is this is a tough message to share. I'm sure it's tough to hear, but let me tell you this that hell was never created for people. God never intended, that was never his original intent for hell to be for people. Look at what he said. This is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 25. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for, not you, who did he prepare it for? The devil and his angels. See, God originally created hell for Satan for Satan's legion of demons who rebelled against God. Hell was not created for people. Hell was created for Satan and his demons. In John chapter 14, Jesus is telling his disciples about what it's going to be like once he uh, resurrects from the grave and ascends back to heaven. He's telling his followers, hey, listen up, guys. I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm going to go back home But when I go there, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven that where I may be, where Jesus is, you might be also. He is going to prepare for us a place in heaven. Jesus did not prepare hell for you. He prepared heaven for you. He prepared heaven for you. Now, because we have free will, if you choose to reject Jesus... You do choose hell. But the choice is yours. You don't have to choose hell. If you will choose to accept Jesus, guess what? He is in heaven right now preparing a place for you. You don't have to go to hell. Choose Jesus today and accept him as your Lord and and Savior. So your first step today is get things right with God. Turn from sin and turn toward Jesus. You need to make sure your life is right with the Lord. Now, again, this is not meant to scare you. Our motivation shouldn't be, man, I don't want to go to hell. I want to get saved. Our motivation should be because we love the Lord. That's why we spent that time worshiping earlier today. We love worshiping and praising our Savior and our Lord. You didn't see a bunch of people who were scared as we were lifting our voice. We're not scared of hell. We know that we are on our way to heaven, so we're not trying to scare you. But you do need to get right with the Lord. Secondly, you need to tell others about hell. Better yet, why don't you tell them about Jesus first, right? Might not want to lead with the hell piece, okay? But tell them about Jesus who loves them, who cares for them, who wants to meet them someday in heaven. Now, when you go home today, if you were to see your neighbor's house on fire, what would you do? You'd do what we'd all do. You'd probably first call 911. You'd get them on the phone saying, hey, my neighbor's house is on fire. You'd want to call for help as soon as possible. And then, if it were safe enough, you you would want to go to the house... Make sure that the house was empty. You'd probably holler there in the house, hey, is anybody left in there? You're, the house is on fire. Quick, come on out. We'd all, that's, that, That'd be all of our reaction. You wouldn't just drive by and say, eh, I'll let somebody else call 911. <laughs> you know what? I'll just pray for them. I'm just going to pray for them from a distance. No, we would do everything we could to save them from the fire. Well, today, your neighbor's house might not be on fire, but your neighbor is. Unless they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, their eternal destiny is hell. And I think this message is, as it's sinking in, that that reality that your neighbor, your friends, your loved ones, their eternal soul is heaven or hell. There's there's no in-between. It's one or the other. And when we really let that sink in, it should cause us to want to go tell others about Jesus, about a God who loves them, a Savior who cares for them and wants to do life with them and wants to have a personal relationship with them. So, again, I know this has been tough. I feel better getting it out, just to be honest. <laughs> but it's been tough to share. It's been tough to hear. Hell is real. Jesus ended the debate. That debate is over and finished. However, you don't have to go there. Jesus did not prepare hell for you. He prepared heaven for you. Amen, everybody. Hey, right there in your seat, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If possible, let's just have very little movement. This is very important. The most important part of the service. We want to give you an opportunity to make things right with God. You've come into this place, some of you, for the first time or the first time in a long time, and you're coming face to face with your mortality. Scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die. And you're not sure where you would go, where your soul, your eternal soul would go if you were to die today. Today, I want to offer you Jesus. He's more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. He's a wonderful Savior who loves you, who wants to do life with you, who has good things in store for you, who wants to have a personal relationship with you. I say that because I don't want to be, uh, I don't want hell to be the, The only motivation for you. Jesus has come to give you life and life to the abundance. And that means right here on this earth. You can live an abundant life right here, right now. You don't even have to wait for heaven to live an abundant life. But Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. And if that's you today, you're not sure if you're right with God. But you want to be sure. You don't want hell to be your eternal destination. You want it to be heaven. You want to say yes to Jesus. You want to live for him. If that's you in this place, I'm just going to ask you. I'm I'm looking out at you. Would you raise your hand so I can see it? Raise your hand and hold it there so I can see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you, young person. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Now listen, what we're going to do is we're going to invite you to invite Jesus into your life. I don't even have to say the prayer for you. All you need to do is say something in your heart to the Lord like this, that says, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I recognize that you are the way to heaven. You did die for my sins and then rose again. And Lord, today, I repent of my sin. I'm sorry for doing life on my own. I'm ready to serve you. And from this day forward, I will follow you. I will live for you. In Jesus' name. So if that's your prayer, if that's your desire, that's all there is to it. We believe that you're a Christian. You are now a Christ follower. But here's the thing. It's not just one and done. It's not, I said a prayer on July 18th somewhere in Frederick Walkersville area. That's not, this is just the beginning, okay? Jesus said, follow me. In fact, Jesus never said, hey, say this prayer and you're saved. He said, follow me. So today you're gonna follow him. Tomorrow when you wake up, you're going to follow him. And the next day and the next day and on and on. This is just the beginning of your spiritual journey. Right now what you're doing is you're saying, Jesus is now the Lord of my life. I have surrendered my life to him. I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen, everybody? Okay, so that's what you just did. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Welcome. Praise God. Hey, all over the room, let's stand together. I'm just going to invite our prayer team members down forward. If you said that prayer in your heart, Whether you lifted your hand or not, these men and women want to hear about it. Would you come and tell somebody about it? Okay, let's not be ashamed of the decision that you just made. Come and tell them about it. They want to pray with you. They want to get you a Bible. Maybe you need prayer for something totally unrelated to what we talked about. You're good on the hell piece, but you, you just need prayer because you're sick in body. Or you need, uh, you got a big decision coming up. Whatever you need prayer for, these men and women are here to pray for you. But before we do that, can we just respond a little bit by worshiping? Pastor Sean, lift us, lift us song and worship to the Lord. Come on, let's sing out.